Welcome to another episode of the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. I have a few bits of housekeeping to do today and some business. If you look down in the show notes uh, for this episode, you'll find the link to a few different things. One of those is to a link to uh, a store uh, where we're now selling uh, t-shirts, sweatshirts, tank tops, uh, coffee mugs, as well as tote bags. Um, I'm looking for different ways uh, for people who want to support the podcast to contribute. Um, and this is a fun way to both support the podcast, but also uh, get something in return. So if you want to support the podcast as well as get some swag with that, um, please purchase one of these things. Uh, all contributions will go to uh, supporting the longevity um, and perpetuity of this podcast and this project. Uh, the second link you'll see below is the link that I'm really excited about, which is a weekly newsletter. Um, I've been collecting a lot of information about California history as well as books and sites, um, and I've decided to launch a weekly newsletter uh, for those who are interested in going in a little bit more depth. Um, the newsletter will come out every Monday, and it will include uh, links to things I'm reading. It will include other podcasts that I've been listening to that I think would be great resources, as well as um, trying to contextualize certain things that are happening in California right now uh, by going into a little depth with history. I'm super excited to bring this to you as it's something that I've been working on uh, for a few months now. Um, anyway, let's get to today's podcast. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Fort Ross and Russian colonization um, and incursion into Northern California. So let's go get started. my favorite activities is unpacking stereotypes and calcified ways of thinking to find their source. We all have these. Um, even though there are many toxic schemas for looking at the world, one of which uh, was explored in the wonderful Oakland-based movie called Blind Spotting, others schemas uh, are just shorthands for the way we understand the world. For example, uh, we tend to think of the colonization period of California's history um, through the lens of colonizer and oppress, conquistador and indigenous people, good and bad. And that certainly is a central part of the narrative, but there are other, other, there are other stories. And when you study history, you discover how these other stories begin to conflict with our understanding of history. And today we're going to be talking about Russia. Now, almost everything we see about the world is dependent on perspective. For example, uh, just after World War II, till about the time that Kurt Cobain and Nirvana released their first album, the people of the United States tended to see Russians and the Soviet Union as evil, atheist, mortal enemies. The Cold War was the paradigm through which we viewed the world. Like every political discourse, it was ultimately an incomplete picture of reality, and the one that caused subscribers of this ideology to gloss over uh, their wrongdoings and ignore the enemy's good deeds. Even today, Russia is painted with a broad brush based on their corrupt leaders and attempts to limit free speech. Those critiques are completely justified, but they offer a fairly limited perspective. If you want to understand the history of Russia at a deeper level um, than what you see on cable news, you have to go in more depth. You have to read books. You have to read articles. You have to dig deeper. Uh, one book that I recommend, one book that I recommend is by Jeffrey Hosking, and it's called Russia and the Russians. 
Um, it's a survey of Russian history, and it's a helpful perspective at looking at uh, the complexity of Russian history and how it influences events today. Now, the history of Russia and Fort Ross is a kind of alternative narrative of colonization. Unlike the Spanish, the Russians were not necessarily here for land, uh, but were here for resources. In that sense, you could compare this to an early multinational corporation whose purpose was somewhat mercantilist, meaning that they were trying to accrue resources for their home country or government, uh, minus the permanent settlement element that was um, the way that the Spanish, um, Portuguese, the English, and um, Russians and other places did. Now, admittedly, the Russians probably did not choose to settle California so as not to provoke um, a military conflict with the Spanish, but the consequence is that they uh, approached the indigenous people that they encountered in a different way that is worth exploring. Uh, we're going to explore this via Fort Ross, which is actually a state park that you can visit today. So let's get into that. We're going to begin this journey by going to look at the indigenous people there. Uh, even though this is technically about the fort, uh, we do need to meet the people that inhabited the area around the fort before the Russians arrive. But even before we get there, let's talk about the land. If you follow the one, uh, which is the highway that runs along the coast of California, uh, up across the bay and into Sonoma County, you will literally run directly into the fort. It's located uh, right off uh, the highway, um, and it is located, well, it sits on uh, this perfectly shaped uh, half-moon bay. Um, it is uh, a perfectly encased area that basically is the picture-perfect fort uh, to uh, inhabit. Now, although parts of the area are surrounded by wooded areas, uh, it has a perfectly open path to the water, making it a perfect strategic port area. Now, the native group in this area when the Russians arrived were the Kashaya uh, people. In total, living in this area, there were about 1,500 Kashaya um, living in villages all along the coast. The Kashaya were people um, that had both kind of a village ethic, but also a family ethic. They tended to move seasonally to follow the food supply. Uh, like the Talawa that we discussed in a previous episode that are just a little bit uh, north of where the Kashaya are. Um, and the Kashaya people ultimately uh, escaped the fate of many of the tribes, at least at the beginning period, um, that many of the tribes in southern central California uh, ultimately were taken uh, over by the missions and the Presidios and the Spanish incursion into California. So the Kashaya, in some sense, uh, miss that because of how north they were uh, located. Now, ultimately, at the end of this, the Kashaya's people's way of life and land would be disrupted, but that would happen not during the Russian period, but the Mexican and American period that followed. Now, in addition to the Kashaya people, this story involves actually other indigenous people not from the area. Uh, Russian sailors also brought with them indigenous people from Alaska, uh, where they had set up forts as well. The Alaskan natives that uh, Fort Ross's first manager, Ivan Kuskov, uh, brought with him were from the coastal areas uh, of Alaska where they had uh, ports to fish and hunt. Uh, these native people that the Russians brought with them were expert fishermen, um, as the plan was that Fort Ross would serve as a central location for fishing and hunting. 
Like in the mission system, the Alaskan natives were also used as laborers, both for areas of expertise like fishing and hunting, but also for menial tasks like felling trees and farming. In this sense, the native people that arrived with the Russians had a worse time than the native people that the Russians encountered in the Fort Ross area. Now let's get to the Russians. The Russians uh, had been pushing further south uh, from Alaska uh, to explore more areas for hunting and fishing. Uh, they had hunted the otter populations down to small numbers in Alaska and were looking for new hunting grounds. The expedition south uh, by the Russian-American company was officially chartered by the Tsar, uh, the ruler of Russia, and began with a series of campaigns uh, led by an assistant in the company, Ivan Alexandronovich Kuskov, which, again, my terrible butchery of names, I apologize uh, immensely for. He initially landed, uh, Kuskov initially landed in Bodega Bay and used that as a launching pad to explore the surrounding areas uh, for the location of a more permanent settlement for their fort. After some extensive exploration, Kuskov ultimately selected Fort Ross Bay because it contained all the natural resources as well as the strategic makeup of the topography that made it a perfect area for settling and creating a fortified fort. Now, in March 1812, Kuskov received orders uh, from the government to begin construction on the fort in the proposed area. With 25 craftsmen and 80 Alaskan natives, they quickly began construction on the fort. The fort would have some attributes of a military outpost, but the defensive elements were not as critical to the, the project of building it, and in part for good reason. The Russians for the most part, had peaceful and cooperative relations with the surrounding native people. The native people had heard about the relations between the Spanish uh, and the native people from the south and decided that they wanted to pursue a more cooperative relationship with the Russians um, who were less concerned with land and more concerned about pelts. The Kashaya people worked uh, regularly at the fort and were paid reasonably well. Uh, with food and clothing. Some were provided with residence and lodging, but apparently not in a course of manner like the neophytes at the missions. Eventually, the Russians and the surrounding parties negotiated a form of a treaty settlement, in large part because the Was Russians wanted to formalize their rights to the land, given that the Spanish had continued to push northward and had settlements above San Francisco Bay. In fact, the agreement was actually written in a formal element on a piece of paper, uh, deeding the Russians the land of the fort. In terms of the economy, the Russians came primarily for otter and beaver pelts, but the amount of these animals for hunting declined considerably, likely from overhunting. As a result, the Russian settlers began to look for other sources of food and revenue. Initially, they tried their hand at agriculture, but the land along the northern California coast proved difficult for farming. First, the fog and then the terrain were not uh, good sources for agriculture. Consequently, they moved toward ranching and husbandry, like the Spanish in the south. Other economic activities that were tried but mostly failed included shipbuilding, uh, tanning, and all the typical uh, activities of a settled economy during this period. Um, now, in terms of the relationship with the rest of California, after 1821 and the Mexican War of Independence, trade began between Californios and the Russians. 
Um, but there was competition. There was a sudden incursion of Americans and British into the area, and trade competition increased dramatically. Um, ultimately, uh, the influence of the Americans and the British uh, led the Russians to realize that their time in California was coming to an end. Um, the fort was ultimately sold in 1841. The fort was ultimately sold to one of the most famous Californians, uh, whose name is Johann Augustus Sutter. Uh, Sutter purchased Fort Ross from the Russians for about 30000 uh, in money, grain, and cattle. Sutter, who we will spend a considerable amount of time with soon, uh, was building an empire around the Sacramento area and mostly bought the fort to haul in supplies and resources um, in his somewhat meager uh, camp that he had set up along there. Uh, Sutter hired a series of managers to run the fort while he focused his attention on the Central Valley. Uh, the Mexican government ended up leasing part of the land around Fort Ross to a man named Manuel Torres. Um, it changed hands a few times after the change from a Mexican government to an American government. Eventually, the land moved into the hands of Americans and was used for all it had, which primarily turned out to be timber. Um, the natives were also pushed out of this land as property rights began to be, unfortunately, the currency of relations. This period of American control is something that we'll come back to later after uh, we cover the American-Mexican War. For now, as a way to end this episode in this small period in time, I think it's worth uh, taking a moment uh, to think about the legacy of Fort Ross um, and the Russian involvement in the Lower 48. Ultimately, the abandonment of Fort Ross is something that served as a symbol uh, for Russia's approach and settlement and colonization in North America. The process of withdrawal culminated in the Russian government selling their holdings in Alaska to the United States in 1867. Now, while on the surface, the Russian response certainly was a, or the Russian relationship with Native people was certainly a superior diplomatic method to what the Spanish did before and what the Americans did after, uh, they did not engage in everything in a diplomatic way. And sometimes, and in some ways, there were some unintended consequences. Uh, for example, there was the impact of the fur trade. The native Alaskan hunters who the Russians had brought with them on the expeditions hunted all along the coast, even in, all the way to the Channel Islands. Um, there was a very unfortunate event that happened in 1814 in which a group of Alaskan native hunters massacred a large population of people living on St. Nicholas Island. Um, the massacre had large residual effects on the people who lived there, ultimately leading to them, their people being removed from the island. Um, and interestingly, this is a, a long-told story, but there was, um, in 1835, when the Spanish or the Mexican government ultimately removed the remaining people from that island, uh, they left one woman on the island who became known as the Lone Woman of St. Nicholas Island, uh, whose name is Juana Maria, um, or that's the name she was given. Uh, 
that woman lived alone for 18 years on that island. Um, and all of this can be traced back uh, to that initial uh, massacre uh, by the Alaskan natives that had come with the Russians. So ultimately, um, it goes to show that even when you intend to do things the right way, and even when uh, the Russians tried to be as diplomatic as possible, that there are consequences, negative consequences, that you do not anticipate. My partner is a psychologist um, and has taught me many things, um, but particularly taught me, me, an occasionally blundering human, uh, the difference between intent and impact. Um, intent is what you mean to do, and impact is what happened. And the lesson of history is that it's complicated and there are impacts that even the most well-intentioned person does not anticipate or people group. And that's why it's important never to, pre to reduce history to simply a story of good and bad people. That's reserved for the movies. Until next time. Thank you.